we're starting chapter 44. It's really exciting. And we're talking about level and another level of loving Hashem. You know, for a while we were talking about fear of Hashem. Now we're talking about loving Hashem. And you can say, okay, I'm a really practical person. I can talk about love. But to analyze this level and that level, like maybe it's not for me. Well, that would be true if it wasn't about us. But I can tell you that when it comes to like handwriting analysis or personality analysis, for some reason, people never tire of hearing about themselves. They want to know more. Well, what does this little thing mean about me? And what does that little thing mean about me? And why do we want to know so much about ourselves? It's an interesting question. Like we really have to think about it. Why do we want to know so much about ourselves? What came to me, I was thinking like, really, come on, like how much, you know, it's, I was once in an office and one of the coworkers was like kind of poking fun at the other coworker gets so absorbed. They never listen to anything he says. So he's like, watch this. You know, hello, I want to tell you something. Look at this new thing I just did. No response. He's so absorbed. Then he says, Hey, let's just call him Jack. Jack, you know what I love about you? And suddenly Jack drops everything <laughs> and looks up. Suddenly he, he breaks focus. What, a, what an interesting thing. Okay, in that situation, you could say maybe it was ego-based, but there's really a truth to that. People want to know more about themselves because we want to live up to our potential. If we don't have self-awareness, then it's very hard to do the things that we could do. When suddenly someone tells you, you know, you have this gift and you have that talent, it's very exciting because, wow, I didn't know that about myself. The loves that we're learning about in this chapter is not something apart or separate from us. It actually is our deepest identity and it becomes so much more enjoyable or so intriguing to understand. I need to know this because this is me. This is who I am. So we talked about two levels of love for Hashem. The first level of love that we talked about was Ahava Rabbah, and it wasn't something that we could achieve on our own. It was a gift from above to a person who was perfect in fear from Hashem. They've reached this level where they're completely surrendered, and now Hashem just shines within them. It's a gift. They didn't actually take it for themselves, but they've achieved a level where they were an appropriate vessel to have this kind of love for Hashem. And then there was the other level, which was Ahavas love, worldly love. And that comes from meditating upon Hashem's greatness. We get to really think about Hashem. And we have an appreciation of His greatness. And that inspires us with incredible flaming love that we truly love Hashem. Now, that is accessible to everybody. But Ahava Rabba, that love that comes as a gift... Why are we talking about it? Remember that in the beginning of the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe said his point was to explain very well how this path of serving Hashem in our heart with love and fear is very near to us. I mean, that doesn't seem so near to us, that love that only comes as a gift to someone who's perfect in fear. But in this chapter, we're going to see that there's a love that's available to us that has the qualities of that love, love and everybody can access it. And why does everybody need to access it? Like, let's just make do with our own level. Why do we need the level of Ahava the one that comes as a gift? I understand. Tell us, focus where we need to be focused. Focus on that which we could meditate on. Think about the greatness of Hashem. Think about the divine providence in our life. Develop this relationship 
and feel full of love. To have this love where it comes as a gift from Hashem, come on, let's be realistic. But actually, both loves are important. That love that comes as a gift from Hashem, what's so amazing about it? It's unlimited. It's boundless. It comes from Hashem, and like Hashem, it is boundless. The love that we produce by our own meditation is based on our mind. Our mind is limited. Our love is limited. You can have the greatest, most inquisitive, most insightful mind, but it is a human mind, and a human mind is limited. On the other hand, what's so great about knowing about Hashem with our limited mind? What is so great about achieving love through our own efforts? This is a different kind of love. This is a kind of love that pervades our everyday personality. When we get that flaming gift from above, what do we do? We pretty much ignore our animal self and we're flying high with this divine, lofty experience, unlimited experience, which is why we want that love so much, unlimited. But we've ignored our human animal. We haven't elevated it and refined it. When we use our regular everyday self to understand about Hashem and to feel Him with our heart that feels things of this world, with our mind that understands things of this world, then we are fulfilling the divine dream. What did we learn in chapter 36? That Hashem created the world because He wanted to have an abode, a home in the lowest realms. That means a human being with a limited perception comes to recognize him, comes to use his human limited mind, his human limited emotions in service of him. At that point, we take our animal self and we've elevated it to Hashem. And that is very important. So we need both. We want the boundlessness, the endlessness of the Ahava Rabbah, that gift from Hashem. But we also want to use that limited self and elevate it and refine it for Hashem. In this chapter, we're going to learn about a love, or actually more than one love, that has both of these values, both of these advantages, and is available to all of us. Chapter 44. In the previous chapter, the Alter Rebbe explained that there are two broad categories in the love of Hashem, Ahava Rabba and Ahavas Ailam. Ahava Rabba cannot be attained by man unaided. It is granted as a gift from above when an individual merits it. Reflection alone on Hashem's greatness can in no way engender this level of love. Ahavas Ailam, however, results from intense and sustained meditation on the greatness of Hashem. Vihine, kol madregas ava mi beis madregas elu ava rabba v'avas ailam nechlekes lachama bechinais umadregas leinkates kol chad lefum shiur delay. Each of these two grades of love, Ava Rabba and Ava Sailam, is subdivided into limitless shades and gradations in each individual according to his spiritual capacity. So we're talking about two loves. We're saying there's Ava Sailam and Ava Rabba. Yeah, there are two loves, but within these two qualities of love, there are so many levels. These are two general categories, but when you say up and down, it's relative. Within up, there's many levels, and within down, there's, very, there's many levels. Right or left, east or west. There are two generalizations, but within these two generalizations, there are so many different levels. Why? Is each person according to their capacity. Everybody's different. The way we understand is different. The way we feel is different. And also, how much we understand is different. Even in our own experience. Why do we like something? We like something because we've come to understand something about the goodness of that thing. So if you understand that something is good, you start liking it. 
If you understand that something is better, you like that thing even more. It's all based on our level of understanding. If we understand something is good, but somebody else understands much more about it, they'll love it even more. So each person, according to his measure, has their own level of either Avas Ilam, and of course, if you have Ava Rabba, you have the lower level too of Avas Ilam. Wherever you are, according to your unique place, you have your own level in one of these loves or in two of these loves. Every person in their own place. As it is written in the Holy Zahar, on the verse, her husband is known at, in the gates, that this refers to the Holy One, blessed be he so-called, since he is the husband of the congregation of Israel, who makes himself known and attaches himself to everyone according to the extent which one measures in one's heart. So this is a verse from Eshet Chayel, a woman of valor, and he is praising the woman, the Eshet Chayel, that her husband is known at the gates. And simply speaking, what does that mean? The Matsudis explains that she makes for him very beautiful clothing. And when he sits at the gates, whereas which the important people sit, he is distinguished. He stands out because he has beautiful clothing. So that's simply understood. But the Zahar looks at this Pasuk and tells us that the husband is Hashem. And who is the, the wife? Knesset Yisrael, the Jewish people. In fact, the whole book of Shir Hashirim, that love song, the Song of Songs is based on this idea that Hashem is the husband and the Jewish people are the wife. And what does it mean, the husband is known to her. Her husband is known to each individual person. Hashem is known to each of us, not just simply speaking by the Sha'ar, by the gate, which is actually connected to the deeper meaning, which is Shi'ur, measure. Hashem is known to each person individually by their own measure of their heart. Everybody has a unique way of knowing Hashem. Think about our physical experience. When you say sweet, when you say green, what does that mean? Truly, it's an individual experience. I really don't know how someone else sees the color green. That's the truth. And what does it mean when someone experiences the taste of sweet? It's very, very individual. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov said on the verse from Tehillim, Hashem. I know that Hashem is great. He said the emphasis is on the word I. I specifically know Hashem's greatness in a unique way that nobody else knows Him. And all that is according to the way we know Him. If someone knows Hashem in a small, limited way, his love for Hashem is in a small, limited way. They take the time to know Hashem deeply and intimately. Their love grows to a deeper and more intimate love. Now the verse says, Her husband is known to her. It only talks about the level of knowledge. But of course, our level of love is based on our level of knowledge, which is why the Zohar says, is known and is attached to each person according to their own measure. We all have our own way. There's this cute children's comic book, Shikapitsky. I have to get more of them because they've been ripped to shreds in my house. <laughs> and the brother and sister are having an argument. And the sister says to the brother, I really don't understand how you like bananas. They are so disgusting. And he says to her, and I don't understand how you like apples. They are so disgusting. She said, no, no, no. It's not the same thing. You have to understand. 
I like apples because apples are delicious, but you like bananas even though they are disgusting. <laughs> it's like, you know, in her worldview, her way is the objective way. Everybody has their own way of experiencing. They have this other cute comic where the spacey brother is sitting in the box and he's pretending it's a ship and he's suddenly caught in this great storm. And in his box ship, there's tons of toys that he gathered for himself, which is his cargo. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, we better lighten the load before the ship sinks. So he's taking the toys and wildly throwing it in the room. And the sister comes and she's very bossy. <laughs> she's like, what are you doing? You're making such a terrible mess. And he is ignoring him, her. And she's, he's throwing the toys and he, she's getting so worked up. And she says, what are you doing? Do you hear me? I said, clean up your toys. And then you see his perspective. He's on an island. There's an indigenous woman there with wild hair, crazy jewelry, Hawaiian-looking clothes. And he's ta she's talking to him in a language that he doesn't understand. And in his mind, he's thinking, I really wish I could help you, but I have no idea what you want. <laughs> and it's like, you know, looking at her perspective and looking at his perspective, such different perspectives. And what's so great about the comic is that it's true. We each have our own unique way of experiencing things. Not only do we have our own unique way of experiencing things, we have our own unique way of loving Hashem. Now, when it comes to intellectualism, it's all based on our mind. But when it comes to loving Hashem, the reason why we can truly love Him intimately, and this is a uniquely Jewish experience, is because we have a part of Him within us. With a mind alone, we wouldn't get to know Him really. The way we get to know Him truly is because he resonates within our soul. To understand an intellectual idea, you need a mind. To know Hashem, you need a divine soul. And as we learned, each of our souls is rooted in a different place, in a different world, in a different sphera. So we all have uniquely our own experience of Hashem. And so there are so many different grades of love because each of us is unique. Each of us knows Hashem in a different way, and each of us relates to Him differently. Within our own experience, we can reach higher levels. Yes, my soul comes from here, and my knowledge is here, but you know what? Our knowledge can go up to there. Each of us should really take the time to get to know Hashem and experience Him. And in this way, He is known to each of us uniquely. Thus, two individuals may have the same general level of love of Hashem, yet their particular Individual levels of love will differ. Therefore, fear and love are called the secret things known to the Lord our God. For people cannot know the varying degrees of love of Hashem harbored in the hearts of others. So the Zohar tells us that Torah expects of us two kinds of serving Hashem. It's based on the verse that says, The hidden matters belong to Hashem. And the revealed matters belong to us and to our children. And the Zohar explains that these are two ways in which we are to serve Hashem. There's the hidden way of serving Hashem, and that is love and fear of Hashem. Why are they called hidden? Because nobody can truly know what's in another man's heart. And that's exactly what the Zohar says. The Zohar says, Because if a person fears the Holy One, blessed be he, or loves him, this is something no other human being knows, since it is a matter which is not revealed. 
It's not hidden because we're trying to hide it. It's hidden because it is essentially hidden. No one can truly relate to the unique individual experience of another. The only one who truly knows how we love him is Hashem. And so essentially, this is a hidden matter. That's why it is called the hidden matters belonging to Hashem, our God. There's that joke about that guy who seems to always have so much kavana, but his friend doubts him. So he sees him the way he davens and so concentrated in his davening, but something, maybe he knows his friend too well. He's thinking, ah, I don't believe it. So he tells his friend, look, you look like you're all absorbed in your davening. I think you know what's going on outside of your own immediate space when he dives. He says, no, 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 you have no idea. When I'm davening, I'm on such a trip, I have no idea what's going on around me. Okay, so his friend decides to test it out. So in the middle of the Amida, he comes behind him and gives him a very hard pitch. Wow, he doesn't move. He looks like he is so absorbed. Maybe he's right. Like, uh, I don't believe it. So he goes and he gives him another hard pinch. Wow, he's just still so involved, absorbed in his prayer. His friend had enough. So he takes two hands and pinches him with all his might. And then the guy goes, ow! And he said, see, I told you you would feel if I pinched you. He said, yeah, but I didn't feel the first two pinches. (laughs) (laughs) Who truly knows if we're concentrating? Who truly knows if we love him? Who truly knows how we love him? Only Hashem. These are the matters that are hidden, belonging only to Hashem. While the Torah and mitzvot are those things which are revealed to us and to our children to do. So the hidden matters are love and fear that only Hashem knows. But when it comes to Torah and mitzvahs, <laughs> that is revealed. The altar explains, Ki achas umishbat echad lechulanu bekiyum mitzvahs For we all have one Torah and one law insofar as the fulfillment of all Torah and mitzvot in actual performance is concerned. All Jews perform mitzvot in the very same manner. The greatest Jew and the smallest both put on the same tefillin. Parchment, ink, black boxes, head, arm, same procedure. This is something that's easily visible. You can see if someone's putting on tefillin. You can see if they're not. You can see if they're lighting Shabbos candles. You can see if they're not. This is something that is haniglis, that which is revealed. So the Zohar says there's two ways that we're expected to serve. The hidden way, which is love and fear. It's called hidden because only Hashem knows. And then there is the revealed way, and that is the practical, actual implementation of the mitzvahs. It's revealed. It's something you can plainly see, and it's equal for everyone. It is otherwise with fear and love, which vary according to the knowledge of God in the mind and heart. Here, Jews are not equal. He whose knowledge of godliness is greater will experience the love and fear of Hashem to a greater degree than his less knowledgeable colleague. So we said there were two levels, generally speaking. There was that love that came as a gift. There was that love that we meditated to achieve. And the Altarab is telling us that they're so different because for each person, it's according to his level of da'at. Which is pretty interesting because you would think, I understand that the one that I created through meditation, that Ahavas Ailam, that worldly love that I created, produced with my mind, then of course, it's according to the degree of my mind. But the one that comes as a gift from above, 
What does that have to do with my mind? I didn't create it. That's true. Even though we don't create it with our mind, we experience it with our mind. And so even someone who has this gift from above, from Hashem that he didn't produce, he experiences it in his human condition. And it's according to his own character traits, according to his own mind. Has, as it's been explained above, the altar explained in the previous chapter that Ahav Rabbah cannot be attained alone, while Ahavas Elam can. He now goes on to explain that there is a manner of love which incorporates the qualities of both Ahav Rabbah and Ahavas Elam. It has the qualities of the former since it comes from above and exists in the soul of every Jew in the form of an inheritance of the patriarchs. However, in order for this love to be revealed, it is necessary for the individual to contemplate and contemplate comprehend godliness as in the case of with Ahavas Elam, which is revealed through man's service. So let's just summarize what we said until now. And we said that each of these two levels has many, many levels. And it is because we're so unique. We're so individual. Each of us experiences Hashem uniquely. And that's why there are so many levels. When it comes to love and fear of Hashem, they are called the hidden matters belonging to Hashem, our God, because each of our levels is unique to us. Nobody else knows it. Only Hashem knows our level as opposed to or in contrast to the actual practical mitzvahs which are revealed, everybody can see. On that level, we're all the same. Now the altar was going to say that there's one kind of love that includes everything. It's pretty amazing, and we all have access to it. Ach, achas hi ava hakula mikol bechinais umadregais ava rabba va'avas ailam. Yet... There is one singular and unique love which incorporates something of all the distinctions and gradations of both Ahava Rabbah and Ahavas Ailam, and is found equally in every Jewish soul as our inheritance from our patriarchs. So there's one kind of love that has everything in it. The Ahava Rabbah and the Ahavas Ailam, we don't have to work to get it. It comes to us as an inheritance from our patriarchs. Now, as we're going to see, this love comes to us by recognizing that Hashem is our life. And you can say, okay, I kind of thought about that already when we had that Ahavas Ayla meditation, the worldly love meditation, and I thought about Hashem is the life force of all of the worlds. So how is this any different? How does this include the quality of Ahava Rabbah? But we're going to see that this is unique. This is not the same as He's the life force of the worlds. This is the same as He is my soul of souls. And my soul of souls is different than the life force of the world. The life force of the world comes from a limited level where Hashem has contracted himself in order to, as if, suit the vessels of all created beings. Our soul comes from Hashem as he is unto himself. We're yearning not for the life force of the world. We're we're yearning beyond the world. We're yearning for Hashem himself in this love, which is the quality of Ahava Rabbah. V'hainu mashakasav hazayar al-pasuk nafshi ivisicha balayla v'gaymer. And that is what the Zayhar says on the verse, my soul, I desire you at night. So this is a verse from the Navi Yeshaya, and it says, the way people translate it, normally it's translated in the simple way of looking at it, my soul desires you at night. And Rashi explains, at night means during the time of exile, which is compared to night. So my soul desires you, Hashem, at night. But actually, grammatically, 
it can't be translated that way. That is the way to translate it on a simple level. But the Zaihar looks at it more deeply and says, actually what it means is, my soul, I desire you. If we wanted to say, my soul desires you, the proper way to vowelize that would be, nafshi ivsicha. And I know with Ivrit, you would say with a little different accent, <laughs> but it's my soul desires you. When you say nafshi ivisicha, that means my soul, I desire you. And that's exactly how the Zaihar translates it. The Zaihar notes that the verse is grammatically anomalous. It should either say my soul desires you or alternatively, I desire you. Therefore, the Zaihar explains that my soul refers to Hashem, the soul of all beings. In effect, the Jew says to God, you are my soul, therefore I desire you. And as the Zohar goes on to say, One should love Hashem with a love of the soul and the spirit as they are attached to the body and the body loves them. This is the interpretation of the verse, my soul, I desire you, which means since you, God, are my true soul in life, Therefore, do I desire you. That is to say, I long and yearn for you like a man who craves the life of his soul. So what does a person want? They love life. A person loves life. When you think about, I love life. So what does a person think about? They don't think that means that I want my body to get larger and larger and larger still. No, they realize that their true life is not simply the body. Their true life, what they're yearning for is energy, is life force. They're yearning for soulfulness. They want more soul within them. They want to experience their soul on a deeper, more energetic kind of level. What does the person realize? The person realizes that who is truly my soul? What is my true life? My truest life is Hashem. And the person says to Hashem, my soul, I desire you. People don't usually speak that way. They don't usually speak that way because, thank God, on an everyday life, they experience life regularly and they don't think about the fact that they yearn for life energy. But the Alter says like this, And when he is weak and exhausted, he longs and yearns for his soul to revive in him, literally to return in him. A person feels they're yearning for life, they're yearning for soulfulness when they're weak, when they're exhausted, if they feel sick. That's when suddenly they realize, what do I want? I want life. I want energy. I want to feel my soul within me. Truly, the pleasure of living is the greatest pleasure of all, and a man will forego all manner of pleasure in order to stay alive. Nevertheless, we do not feel the pleasure of simply being alive because... A constant pleasure is not felt to be pleasurable. However, when a person is weak and tired and his life force is not as manifest as it should be, then he feels the desire to live and senses the pleasure of simply being alive. So what do we love? We love things that bring us pleasure. A person loves certain foods because they fi- he finds those foods to be pleasurable. A person loves music because music brings him pleasure or higher than that. A person loves intellectualism because intellectualism 
brings them pleasure. But actually, the greatest pleasure of all is the pleasure of being alive. And most people don't think about that because, as the, as the Baal Shem Tov says, and this is what the Tzemach Tzedek quotes in Or HaTayra, Tainuk Tmidi Enoi Tainuk, a constant pleasure is not felt to be pleasurable. Desire has no meaning except in the face of lack. Here, the person suddenly feels weak, and that's when they realize that the greatest pleasure of all is the pleasure of being alive. And I'm going to read to you from the words of the Tzemach Tzedek in Or HaTayra Parshas from Midbar. He says like this, we can easily see that the pleasure of life is greater than all other pleasures. This is the whole person. Whatever a person has, he would give up for his life. If they would offer a person all the pleasures in the world, on the condition that he would die after that. Obviously, he wouldn't want the pleasure. Fa'adaraba, quite the contrary. Yikaba alav yisurim kashim, a person will go through extreme discomfort. Kimailikach refuis marim, such as to take bitter medicines. Bechdei lihisha'er bachayim, just to stay alive. So the greatest pleasure is the pleasure of life. A person would get everything they have to keep themselves alive. All the pleasures of the world are meaningless for them if it means that they would cancel out their life. From this, it is clearly obvious that the pleasure of living is greater than all the pleasures of the world. Now, even though the pleasure of living is the greatest pleasure of all, people don't experience that on a day-to-day level. And that's exactly what the Tzemach Tzedek addresses next. And he says, Nevertheless, on a conscious level, a person doesn't feel delight and pleasure from being alive. And when he has an opportunity to have things which he loves and are delightful to him, something which is outside of his physical being, he feels great pleasure from, the, from it. All this is because a constant pleasure is not a pleasure. So we want pleasure, and what do we seek? Things from outside of ourselves. But truly, the greatest pleasure is within ourselves, the pleasure of being alive. Thank God a person doesn't realize that on a regular basis because they're so used to that pleasure. But when a first person feels weak or exhausted, or they feel that, God forbid, their life is in danger, suddenly they realize, there's one thing I want, life. And that is the greatest pleasure of all. And, and that's what he continues to say. When, at times when a person despairs of his life because of a severe illness, heaven forbid, then when afterwards his soul returns to him, he feels the greatest pleasure than all the pleasures in the world. And he feels this pleasure. So here we're talking about the concept of self. Realizing what is our true self. In order to have this love for Hashem, we have to realize that our deepest yearning is to our soul, Think about what a person wants. They want more energy. They want more experience of their soul. And it's not just, yeah, a person wants to live and not die. No, they want to experience soulfulness. They really want to experience their self. Well, let's think about it for a minute. Actually, that means we want to experience Hashem. Because if we come to know ourself deeply, we realize that the soul of our soul 
is Hashem. And when we have that realization that we, then we realize I want to draw more and more godliness within myself. I want to experience Hashem more deeply, more genuinely, more intimately. I realize that's who I am. Rabbi Steinzel brings the story of the Tamach Tzedek, who we were just quoting. This is the grandson of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. He was raised by the Alter Rebbe from the age of three. And one time he was sitting on his grandfather's lap and the Alter Rebbe was playing with him. And he said, where is Zayda? Where is grandfather? And so the little boy puts his head, hands on the Alter Rebbe's head and says, here is Zayda. And he said, no, that's Zayda's head. So he puts his hands on the Alter Rebbe's heart. And he said, here is Zayda. And he said, no, that's Zayda's heart. So he tries different parts, the shoulder, the arm. And each time he gets it wrong. This is Zayda's arm. Okay, it looks like the little boy gave up. Slides off his grandfather's lap. Goes behind the door. He pretends to get his fingers caught. And he says, Zayda! Zayda! And his grandfather comes, what? What is it? And he said, there is Zayda. <laughs> I found you. I mean, it's beyond clever. It takes deep wisdom, a little boy, to realize. But this is what it is, searching for our truest, deepest self. You know who we are? We are our soul. You know who that is? That is Hashem. I yearn for that. Rabbi Steinzel tells another story. Uh, it seems like it's a famous children's story about a forgetful boy who wanted to make sure he knows where all his stuff are in the morning. So he writes down, well, I put my hat here, and I put my clothes here, and I put my shoes there. He goes to sleep, wakes up in the morning, he knows where everything is, my hat, my shoes, my clothes. And then he says, oh my goodness, I forgot to write, where am I? And this story was told by the Alexander Rebbe. And he said that this is the story of Hasidus. You may not know yet where you are, but at least you should be searching and asking, where am I? And this is something that we're coming, becoming cognizant of in this chapter. Where am I? I am my soul. What do I desire the most? I have this love within me that I have to access. It's coming to me naturally. It is boundless because it, as a gift from Hashem, it's an a inheritance from the patriarchs. To get an inheritance, you don't need to be deserving. All you have to be is the heir. Here, we didn't have to do anything to get this love. Just by virtue of being born Jewish or somebody who converts, having a Jewish soul, has this inheritance of this love for Hashem, which is nafshi evisicha, my soul, I desire you. It is a boundless, limited love, but we have to work hard to access it. So it has the qualities of ahavarabah, that boundless, limitless, limitless love that comes from Hashem, but it requires the effort of ahavas ilam, meditation, to think about it in order to access it. Likewise, when he goes to sleep, at which time his life force is in a state of concealment, for sleep is one sixtieth of death. That's what it says in the Talmud. He longs and yearns for his soul to be restored to him when he awakens from his sleep. So this is what it means, my soul, I desire you at night. A person at night, when they're going to sleep, realizes that they're tired. Their soul is going up and they realize that I am yearning for my soul to be restored within me. So this is his desire. So do I long and yearn to draw within me the infinite light of the blessed Ainsaif, the life of true 
life. How am I going to do that? Through engaging in the study of Torah when I awaken during the night and from my sleep, for the Torah and the Holy One, blessed be He, are one and the same. So what happens? The person is going to sleep. Besides the fact that they're physically going to sleep and they're exhausted, they're also taking a break from serving Hashem. During the day we study Torah, we do mitzvahs, and suddenly they realize during this nighttime where I'm going to sleep, I am not experiencing Hashem the same way. Now, of course, a person lives with the motto of kol all of your actions should be for the sake of heaven, then even their sleep is holy and even their sleep is in service of Hashem. As the Rambam writes in Hilchat Yisedi HaTayra, he says, Im if he retires with the intention that his mind and body rest, lest he take ill and be unable to serve Hashem because he is sick, then his sleep is service to the omnipresent. Blessed be he. If a person thinks I'm sleeping because I need energy to serve Hashem, then his sleep is in service of him. But still, when a person is sleeping, they're not conscious. They are not serving Hashem. So they yearn to bring Hashem into them, to experience Hashem. And how are they going to do that? Through Torah study. We learned in chapter 5 that Torah and Hashem are entirely one. That's what the Zohar says. When a person, think about when you eat. What do you do when you eat? You take some food, you bring it within yourself, and now it becomes literally part of you. It goes to your bloodstream. It literally becomes flesh of your flesh. The Torah is called food. When we study Torah... We are, our mind is eating Torah. The Torah is becoming literally a part of our mind. Translate that into Hashem is becoming part of our mind. We are taking Hashem within ourselves. So a person says, I'm going to sleep. When I'm sleeping, I'm not serving Hashem. I yearn to have this experience of bringing my soul into me. I want to experience my soul at the highest level, at the highest capacity, with the most energy. What am I going to do? I quickly want to get up and study Torah. Thus, the individual's love of Hashem will encourage him in his Torah study. Since he realizes that this will enable him to draw down the infinite light of the Ein Sof and become united with God, just as creation is renewed continuously, in his goodness, he renews each day continuously the work of creation. Torah too should be viewed every day as if it were new. So too regarding the love and yearning for Hashem brought about through the study of Torah, he should experience this just as one yearns and desires for the full restoration of his vitality, a desire which is both revealed and powerful. So this is very interesting because you can say, I don't understand. We have this obligation to study Torah. And a person also has to sleep. So yeah, when I sleep, I sleep. And when I get up, I get up. And when I'm sleeping, I don't, I'm not studying Torah, but I don't have to study Torah. It's not a halachic obligation. We're not talking about a halachic obligation over here. Halachic obligation is, you know, you sleep when you sleep. You learn Torah when you have the ability to learn Torah. If a person neglects Torah study when they have the ability to learn Torah, then they are considered to be sinful. We're not talking about somebody who learns as much as they are obligated. We're talking about someone who learns more than they are obligated. Why are they learning more than they are obligated? Because they are impelled by love. 
They think, Hashem, you are my soul. You are the life of life. I desire you. You are my true life. How am I going to draw you in me? By studying Torah. By studying Torah, I'm literally taking Hashem within myself. And because I yearn for you so much, I'm going to quickly get up from my sleep and I'm going to study Torah even at a time that I'm not obligated. The Talmud says like this, Hillel mechayev es ha'anim, that Hillel obligates the poor and Rabbi Elazar ben Kharsum obligates the wealthy. What does that mean? They talk about also Yosef HaSadik, Joseph obligates the wicked. What does that mean? A person comes to the next world, they say, did you study Torah? And he says, well, I couldn't really study Torah. And the man says, he was so poor, he didn't have time to study Torah. He was too busy earning a living. He said, really, you were so poor. Were you any poorer than Hillel? What's the story with Hillel? Hillel used to earn a half dinar every day. He would divide up that money. Half he would use for his family's very meager livelihood. And the other half he would use in order to enter the study hall. The guard would charge money for people coming in to study. He would study with Shmaya and Avitalion. Well, one day he didn't have enough money to enter the study hall. So what did he do? He climbed onto the roof of the base medrash. It was snowing. He leaned over to hear through the skylight, and that's how he was studying. He didn't realize that he was getting snowed in. In the morning, Shmaya and Avitalion look at each other and they realize that, hey, it's dark in here. And they strain their eyes and they see a human figure. They climb up to the roof. It was Shabbos. They take him down. They rub him with snow. They put him opposite a fire. They revive him. They said it was worth it to desecrate the Shabbos for him. Of course, the Shabbos is desecrated for any human life in danger. But we were talking about, wow, what a great man. This was Hillel. He was so poor, and yet he managed to study Torah profusely despite his poverty. And then if a person says, well, his problem was not that he was so poor. His problem was he was so rich. He was so rich that he was busy with all his affairs and his affluence. His wealth took so much of his time managing his, his wealth. He could not possibly study Torah. I said, really? Were you any wealthier than Rabbi Elazar ben Kharsam? Rabbi Elazar ben Kharsam's father left him 1,000 villages, 1,000 ships at sea, and every single day he would take a small sack of flour and travel from town to town in order to study Torah from great Torah scholars. In fact, one day he was traveling through one of his own towns and his servant stopped him not knowing who he was and wanted to force him to work for the master. And he said, let me go, I just wanna study Torah. He didn't tell them who he was. <coughs> so this is Rabbi Lazar ben Harsim. He was so wealthy and still he managed to find the time to study Torah. And the Rebbe speaks about that. The Rebbe says, I don't understand. There is a halachic obligation, a minimum amount that you have to study if you're not able to. So why do we have to bring examples of Hillel and Rabbi Lazar ben Kharsim? Either you're obligated or you're not obligated. And the Rebbe said like this, truly Hillel <coughs> and Rabbi Lazar ben Kharsim were not obligated to study as much as they studied. But somehow they found the time to study because of their love for Hashem. They didn't have time to study but suddenly they found the time to study. It's like something that's too heavy for someone to pick up and suddenly they get an adrenaline rush and they're able to pick it up. Why? Because of that huge rush of energy. Hillel, Elazar ben Harsim, they weren't able to, but they became able to. 
out of their love for Hashem. And that's why they obligate everybody else. Says, well, did you love Hashem as much as Hillel? Did you love Hashem as much as Rabbi Lezer ben Harsim? There's a story of a chassid who had very little time to study. And so he approached the altar Rebbe with this question. He said, I only have a very small amount of time to study. Should I study just the basics? You know, the oral Torah, halacha, whatever I need to study, Talmud, Torah. Or should I also put in some of this limited amount of time, should I put in the study of Hasidus? Now you're going to say, well, of course, the Alter Rebbe is going to tell him, study Hasidus. And indeed, the Alter Rebbe said, make sure you also study Hasidus. But he explained himself. He said, if you're also going to study Hasidus, you will somehow find more time to study Torah. When you realize it's important to you, somehow you find the time to study Torah. There's another story of a chassid who used to wake up in the middle of the night. He was elderly. He used to wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom. And every single time he got up in the middle of the night, besides using the facilities, he would then study a little bit of chassidus. So someone asked him, what's this about? Why are you studying in the middle of the night? You got up to go to the bathroom, go back to sleep. And he said, listen, when I go to sleep, my soul goes up. Obviously, it's hanging out with some other souls. Then she needs to come down to take care of some bodily needs. When she comes back, the other souls are going to ask her, why did you go down? I don't want her to be embarrassed and say, the reason why I came down was just because of bodily needs. So I studied Torah so I can say that I studied. So to this love of nafshi ivisicha impels us to go beyond, beyond our normal expectations, to study Torah even at a time that we're not obligated. So the Zahar says, out of love for the Holy One, Blessed be he, a man should rise each night and exert himself in his service until the morning. This then is the love expressed in the phrase, my soul, I desire you. The innate love that a Jew feels when he realizes that Hashem is his true soul and source of life. This love must be revealed by pondering deeply and often how Hashem is the source of all life, as will be explained later on in this chapter. So let me summarize what we said until now in this last section. And we said, yes, there's these two loves of Ava Rabba and Ava's Ilam, but there is a love that includes both of these loves. It is a love that comes to us as an inheritance for our, our patriarchs. And it is the love of Nafshi Ivisicha, my soul, I desire you. We realize that Hashem is our soul of souls. And just like a person who is weak and exhausted at that moment, they realize, what do I want? I want soul. I want to feel my life. A person yearns for Hashem. He realizes I am yearning for him. I yearn to draw more of his light within me. How am I going to do that? Through Torah study, because I Hashem and the Torah are entirely one. When I study Torah, I draw him into me. And so this person, impelled by love, runs out of his sleep, wakes up, so he can't experience that because he feels like he's exhausted. He feels like he's yearning because he's not getting enough soulfulness within him. And so what does he do? He gets up to study Torah so that he can experience Hashem within he, and within himself. He wants to draw the light of Hashem 
more and more within himself. And this is the love of nafshi ivisicha. It has the quality of being boundless as the love of Hashem, which is as a gift. And it has that quality of elevating the world because we experience it with our human self. We exert our human mind. We experience it in our biological heart on a very human level. The same mind that calculates bank accounts, the same mind that writes shopping lists and dinner menus, the same heart that feels joy when experiencing things of this world, loves Hashem, knows Hashem and loves Him. And this is the unique love of nafshi ivisicha, my soul, I desire you. 